Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Daily Podcast is proud to be in partnership with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Whether your business needs cars, vans, or larger commercial vehicles, you can rent from the best lineup in the UK with Enterprise. And with flexible long-term rental, you can get vehicles for as long as you need them, from minutes to months. Whatever the mission, Enterprise's mobility experts can build a bespoke solution to suit your business needs. Visit enterprise.co.uk forward slash business to find out more. Terence Frederick Venables, better known as Terry, or just plain Tell, was born in Dagenham on the 6th of January 1943. He's a man who helped transform the English and even the world game. His career reached one of its many peaks when he managed England to the semi-finals of Euro 96 and changed the mood of a nation. Oh, here's Gascoigne. Gascoigne, he can finish it here! Look, Gascoigne! 2-0! People talk about winning trophies and the best manager can manage egos. Terry Venice was unbelievable at that. Shearer, into the path of Darren Anderton. Oh, and a deflection, and a super save, and Sheringham, it's four! He had a wonderful way of putting something in your mind to make you think that you'd thought of it and you you turned it around yourself. So he had a special way and that and that's all you can say. Oh, Seaman! A save superbly from Nadal and England go into the semi-finals of the European Championship. We got quite a bit of stick, you know, there was a lot of people wanting Gaza out of the squad and everything and Terry was like, no, 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 he's our best player. Um, you know, and he got us all together and said, right, come on, let's show them. And that's what we did. He does everything right. Well, let's hope he can do this right as well. Saved it! Oh, my word. He was tactically outstanding. And I think the other thing, he, he was prepared to employ really good people around him that challenged him. There's only a few games, and yet all of them, in their different ways, still live with us. We can still tell you exactly what happened. Terry Venables managed to kind of make people care about England and, you know, make us feel proud of that team. And the Germans go into the final and England are out. The way he acted towards his players, you couldn't help but love him and just want to give your all for him. You've also always got to think of the players first because without players you haven't got anything. He always felt he was ahead of the game. He saw things in the game that he could put into practice on the training field. He influenced the players. They love working for him. I'm Danny Kelly, broadcaster and lifelong Spurs fan, and this is El Tell, a TalkSport tribute. Terry Venables grew up in the semi-industrial strip where East London meets Essex, a football heartland that has thrown up some of the towering giants of English football. Alf Ramsey, Glenn Hoddle, David Beckham, Harry Kane, to name just a few. From these beginnings, he managed as a player, manager, administrator, entrepreneur and entertainer to be a major mover in the English game for 50 years. He did it with a mixture of knowledge, skill, guile and sheer force of personality. He was brainy, charismatic, mischievous and people loved him. 
Most of all, footballers loved him. As a Spurs fan, I watched him play for and manage trophy-winning teams before going on to put pride back into the national team as manager of England. At Barcelona, he was instrumental in changing the world game forever. In later years, I got to spend time with him. Over the next hour, we'll hear from the likes of former England Euro 96 stars Teddy Sheringham, Tony Adams, Stuart Pearce and Paul Ince. We'll also explore his time at Spurs, where he won the FA Cup in 1991. Gary Mabbott was his captain that day, and we'll hear from him amongst other legendary Spurs players. And we'll look at his time managing QPR, Barcelona and the other huge clubs he graced with his presence. Before any of that though, we're going to look at his playing career. Terry left school in 1958, signing an apprenticeship at Chelsea in the same year. He turned pro in 1960, making his debut shortly after his 17th birthday in a 4-2 defeat to West Ham. He was a hard-working midfielder, never shy of a tackle. The Chelsea side he starred in was vibrant and trendy, feeding off the energy of what's become known as swinging London. Here he tells us what it was like playing for the Blues in those days. In 63, um, Chelsea got relegated. And you know, Chelsea... Chelsea and um, West Ham were the two clubs that didn't have any money. Mm. So they had to go for youth and they just went for it because, well, they had no option. And Tottenham and Spurs was the big club. Every, every time there was good players, big players, Spurs would be the ones that had the money. Maybe Everton, yeah. Arsenal, maybe. But, but Spurs were, were the ones. We were definitely getting relegated. Yeah. But these, when we had the youth team that won the Youth Cup, two in the trot, what we'd done at uh, Chelsea was to play those boys and then and see where it took us. And uh, basically, we came straight back up with, a, with the yeah. youth team. Terry helped Chelsea get promoted to the first division in 1963 and played a major role in their win in the 1965 League Cup, where they beat Leicester 3-2 over two legs. All goals came in the first leg, with Venable scoring the Blues' second. Ron Chopper Harris played with him at Chelsea, and he tells us what Terry Venables was like back then. I think all the lads that uh, that was in the first team then used to always, you know, come over to you and say, "Oh, Ed, you used to play on the youth side," and all that. They would ask, um, you know, Terry would come over and say, "Oh, how'd you get on today?" You know, Ron and all that, and you'd have a, you know, you go home and say, "Oh, you say to my dad, so and so spoke to me today." Graham. Time at Chelsea also led to another brilliant story with the legendary striker Jimmy Greaves, as Carl, the Chelsea fan, phoned his talk sport to tell us on the day that Terry passed. Terry grew up in Dagenham, and he was a few years behind Jimmy Greaves. And, 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 and uh, Jimmy was the real big shot. He was banging in goals galore for Chelsea. Got into the first team. With every, just the whole, whole of London was new about Jimmy Greaves. But he, he said to Terry, Terry was just trying to break into the squad, and he said, Terry, how are you getting to the game on, on, on Saturday? And Terry says, I'll have to get the tube. No, says Jimmy, sure, I've got me jag. I'll collect you. <laughs> so he collects Terry, <laughs> and they're, they're driving, Alan. Jimmy says, I, have to, I like to stop off before for a bit of a bit of nosh. And Terry's looking at me, saying, well, like, it's a bit late. Like, you know, he said, no, 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 we always do this. So he pulls into the restaurant, he gets the whole works, roast spuds, the lot, and a dessert. And <laughs> Terry has a slice of toast and a bit of boiled fish or chicken or something. And he's looking at Jimmy, and he's going like, jeez, what the hell's going on here? This fellow, we're kicking <laughs> off. Well, yeah. So they get to the game. Seven, of course, you know the way that the stories are great. Seven nil to Chelsea. Jimmy gets five. And Terry's, somebody says to Terry, well, what do you think, Terry? He says, well, it's all about what we're not about, but I'm certainly eating the wrong food. 
After leaving Chelsea, Terry went on to play for Tottenham, winning the FA Cup in 1967 and also sharing the Community Shield with Manchester United the same year. I remember him as a clever, cheeky player who usually had a smile on his face. He also had the trendiest haircut and a permanent tan. I guess we should have known then that we were dealing with no ordinary footballer. He then went to play for QPR and Crystal Palace. Former England forward Rodney Marsh played with Terry at QPR and he tells us what sort of player he was. In today's football, uh, you'd look at somebody like um, Declan Rice, who doesn't really orchestrate the team, but he's a, a, a major component. So uh, that's that's how I would see. I mean, Terry Venables was not at the end of the season going to be 10 goals and 10 assists. That's how I look at that player being, like a, like a Glenn Hoddle. Um, and, he, and, and Terry wasn't that. But... but I would say Terry was one of the most effective players I played with. Terry also played for England, appearing at every level for the national side, right from schoolboy level to the first team. He retired as a player during the 74-75 season due to arthritis and started working full-time as a coach of Crystal Palace, falling under the influence of the great and innovative Malcolm Allison. He became Palace manager shortly after and took them from the third division to the first in the late 70s. Here, Terry tells us how his first steps into management started. I was his coach. I, I went there from yeah. uh, QPR as a player and uh, I had arthritis in my right ankle and I was struggling a bit. And uh, they wanted me at Crystal Palace to play, or Malcolm yeah. did. And, um, and uh, I had this arthritis problem, and, uh, but it wasn't too bad. Don Rogers went to QPR, and who had a... a, a a problem with his ankle mm. and of course I had they thought what they thought they were both kidding each other like, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that, that but both he went on to have a good uh, career and I went uh, I didn't play for very long so Malcolm wanted me to get involved with the coaching we had a great run um yeah. under Malcolm with the with, with a superb run uh, with uh, the FA Cup, yeah. we we um, we went right through to the semi-final as a third division side against Southampton. We got the semi-final. We 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 played. The first game was Scarborough. Then we got drawn against Leeds away, who hadn't lost at home for two years in the mm. first division. We went there and won one 0 We then went to Sunderland, got drawn Sunderland away, who hadn't lost a game in the second division, and we beat those. The came out again of the hat we played Chelsea we won 1-0 mm. and then we <laughs> went to the semi-final and uh, got beat and yeah. Southampton went on though. to beat Man United and then it was all over Palace were going up they'd won promotion back to the first division after an absence of six years all 50,000 fans wanted to see their team and in particular their manager Terry Venables who's brought success to South London out of a team that cost next to nothing. Venables was fast becoming a hugely popular figure with the media and fans. David, the Crystal Palace supporter, recounted the time he met the legendary figure when he was the Palace manager. Yeah, I was only uh, 15 at the time, 1979 season. I was a, it was my first ever season ticket. I had a season ticket. And then back in those days, the season ticket was just a piece of, like a little book of uh, paper with a staple through it. And each time you went in, you, they tore off the sheet easy peasy but unfortunately yeah. one day my mum bless her I, it was my fault I left the season ticket in my jeans pocket and then she put it <laughs> through the washing machine oh dear oh, no. therefore, therefore turning my season ticket into a bowl of papier mache <laughs> and I was gutted you know at 15 <laughs> you know your, your whole my whole life had like 
crumpled. So she very kindly wrote to Mr. Venables, who was the manager, obviously, and he wrote back very quickly. You know, within four or five days, we got a letter back asking me to go to the offices early for the next game. And I actually went into the offices and he was there and he gave me a new season ticket. There's no proof that I had a season ticket except for a couple of staples. I had a, I had a new season ticket for what was in those days the, old, the new stand enclosure. And that's oh, a, and I remember that. that. That stuck with me. You're listening to El Tell, a talk sport tribute. Coming up, we're going to take a look at the next steps in Terry's career as he left Crystal Palace and went on to manage Queen's Park Rangers. I'm Danny Kelly, broadcaster and lifelong Spurs fan. This is El Tell, a TalkSport tribute. What you're currently listening to is Terry singing What Do You Want To Make Those Eyes At Me For? He loved to sing, but more of that later. Now let's turn our attention back to his management career. In 1980, Terry left Crystal Palace and took over at Queen's Park Rangers. He achieved incredible success with what was then an unfashionable club. Broadcaster and massive QPR fan Tony Incenzo was covering his beloved R's the season Terry took over. He installed the famous plastic pitch at Loftus Road, the Omniturf pitch, which was really controversial at the time. That season, 81-82, QPR reached the FA Cup final. I can remember the semi-final at Highbury against West Bromwich Albion. And tactically, he outmaneuvered West Brom by actually not playing any strikers that day. He put the two centre-forwards out wide, Clive Allen and Simon Stainwood were put right out on the flanks. So West Brom centre-halves didn't know who they were going to um, to mark and, and Clive Allen scored the winning goal. And then Rangers were really unlucky to lose to Spurs in the final in a replay. The following season, QPR clinched promotion to the, the uh, top flight. And then the year after, tremendous period of success, finished fifth in the top flight, qualifying for Europe. Before taking QPR on a European run, however, a surprise call came. It's now unthinkable, of course, that a QPR manager would go straight from managing the West London club to Barcelona, but that's exactly what Terry did. He'd been recommended by Bobby Robson and Villa owner Doug Ellis. It was also here, of course, that became known as El Tell. Legendary sports commentator Jim Rosenthal remembers Terry from his time in Spain and tells us how he managed to win over the Barcelona faithful. He was one of the very first um, British coaches to get that big Barcelona, that big Barcelona job as well. Mm. And clever, he was so clever when he was introduced there. Uh, and, and he said a few words in Spanish to get the, the Catalan fans behind him from the start. He was a very clever operator. Here Terry himself recalls his start at the new camp. I bought Steve Archibald and that's, that's, where, that's where Maradona left. Because and, and you said we were ten years without winning it, and everyone in the streets were just saying like, "Oh, we never win the league." And they're all against us. The referees are all dodgy and yeah. and this, that, and the other. And they said we don't mind not not winning the league because we're not used to it. But there's a but. So in the streets, stopping, you beat Real Madrid, you've got no problem. Yeah. You've got no problem. So we thought, fine, that's that's it. So so Steve came in. Uh, and uh, Maradona went on because it was Napoli also hadn't won for ten years, mm. so they take him. So Napoli wins after ten years. We win the league after ten years. Uh, and of course, the first game of the season we had was Real Madrid uh, away, mm. and uh, and of course 
that is it where everyone really relies on you, you know. Yeah. So, um, and as I said, we had these two boys, Rocco, Calderay coming in, and uh, Steve was on fire. Steve Archibald at that, that first year was brilliant. And, uh, and we won 3-0. Terry spent three seasons at Barcelona. In 1985, he won Barca's first La Liga title in 11 years. The following season, they finished runners-up in the Copa del Rey and won the Copa de la Liga. More importantly, they reached the final of the European Cup, where they lost on penalties to Romania's Stoya Bucharest. Against Marcos. He saved it again! He's unbeatable this And year. Romanians have won the European Cup. Four successive penalty misses, or saves, whichever way you like it, and that cup will go to Romania. Yeah, not the last time that penalties would haunt Terry Venables, eh? Pep Guardiola was a young man in Barcelona at the time of Eltel's triumphs. So in that time I was 13, 40 years old or 50 years old. So it's the first time I saw win almost a La Liga, no? the first time. So for many, many years could not be possible with Madrid, Real Sociedad, other teams, so Aleti Bilbao. So the impact in the way they play. And I remember talking with friends of mine, players like Gay Play with him and... Uh, the worst was not just as a as a as a manager, as a as a person so funny. It was a in a programs in TV Catalunya and singing, imitating Frank Sinatra and this kind of thing. So it was a, like a a proper proper man. So I'm so sorry for his family, honestly. Terry had a brilliant warmth about him and inspired all those around him to want him to do well. Ted Buxton was Terry's assistant manager for Spurs in England, but it was at Barcelona that they first met. And here, Ted talks about meeting El Tel in Spain. I thought he was a very down-to-earth type of person and uh, never flash and always listen to what he was saying. Uh, if he had a comment, he'd tell you. But uh, apart from that, he was very ordinary. But, you know, when you got to setting out the team and uh, picking players and that, it different class. Terry left Barcelona in September of 1987. He had re-established the Catalan Giants as a power in Spain and beyond. He had set the template that Johan Cruyff would perfect and set in motion the football that would inspire Guardiola, Xavi, Messi and the rest. It's not too fanciful to say that Terry Venable's work in Spain set in motion the train that leads to Manchester City's dominance of the game today. 2023 Manchester City treble winners. He joined his old club Tottenham in the winter of 1987. His time in North London is best remembered for a famous FA Cup success. It's lucky for Spurs when the year ends in one. So this is the year for Spurs. Here's Paul Allen and Paul Stewart with a chance for Spurs. And the equaliser. Paul Stewart scores and Spurs are back in the cup final. Today just back so, brought back so many memories of, of the semi-final, of the final, the lead-up. And you know what, he, he was brilliant because he kept all that was going on in the back room at the club uh, away from us and we just concentrated on football and as a man manager I think he's probably the best I've ever uh, played under. In goes Stewart, oh a chance at the far side, it's in! An own goal I think, Spurs are in the lead for the first time in this cup final. Under the guidance of Terry Venable, Spurs won the 1991 FA Cup, beating Brian Clough's Nottingham Forest at Wembley. The run to the finals also included a brilliant 3-1 victory over Arsenal in the semis. 
Gary Mabbott was his captain at Spurs, and he remembers the warmth this manager brought to the dressing room. One of the best managers that I've, uh, I've ever worked with. Uh, his man management of players was outstanding. His manner with the players was very different to a lot of managers. He was A lot of managers would be very much on the social side. They would make a, a stand back. They wanted to be too close to all the players. Uh, Terry was the opposite. He wanted to be best friends with his players. And mm. numerous times after defeats, we'd be invited to his club in London to go and have a karaoke competition uh, with all the players. So... Yeah, and, and have a good night out together. Back to Ted Buxton, that brilliant FA Cup win. That was something uh, that he relished on. He, he never got overexcited about it, but he, I know deep down he was very proud of that. I know when we scored, every, everybody went mad, including me, off the line. And I looked around and Terry was just sitting there, quiet, uh, and not showing any uh, emotion until he got up and then he just went like that and that's it. You know, there was no rushing around or anything, yeah. I was at Wembley that day enjoying a Spurs triumph that saw them win the cup for a then record eighth time. Little did we know that it would be the last time Spurs won the old trophy. What was clear, though, was that Terry Venables was at his absolute peak as a manager. In total, El Tell spent four years at Spurs as their manager. His TalkSport Breakfast co-host and former Ireland midfielder Andy Townsend remembering when Venables tried to sign him. His assistant manager, Lou Chatterley, as they were literally going out the door, Lou Chatterley pulled me and said, by the way, Terry Venables, uh, Spurs have inquired about you, right? And I'd only just really got into the team at Southampton. So I said, I said, what, sorry? And he went, look, they've inquired about you. You need to get onto that. So I said, well, what, what do I... Now, this is before mobile phones, before yeah. anything. I ain't got a clue. Get hold of Terry Venables. How do I get... Anyway, I, I got his number. And I was, I'll never forget this, I was on holiday and uh, and we were down in Cornwall and I've gone into a phone box, no mobiles, I've got about <laughs> 25, 50 25 grand and 50 50p's. 50p's. My mate's outside, he's got like, his pockets are full of them, right? And he's, he's just feeding me, loading, loading. <laughs> anyway, I've, I've rung this number and I said, can I speak to Mr Venables, please? And they said, yeah, who's speaking? And I went, um, it's, I said, it's uh, Mr Townsend speaking. Okay, hold on a minute. Anyway, waited, waited, waited. And I'm banging these 50p's in. I'm thinking, oh, don't hurry up. You know, I'm knocking, these 50p's are going in and out of fashion. And eventually he comes to the phone. And I said, uh, Mr. Venables, I said, it's Andy Townsend. And he said, uh, hello. And I went, um, I, I, Lou, Lou Chatley uh, mentioned that, uh, you know, that, uh, that that you might be, I didn't know what to say. Yeah. I'm just like, uh, uh, and I said, you know, I just thought I'd give a ring. He said, we shouldn't have done that. Because he's not allowed to do that. Of course. And he could get in trouble. He said, well, you shouldn't have done that. And I said, uh, right, oh, okay. So I'm thinking, oh, well, I've completely had one here. Yeah. Had a nightmare, even ringing him. He said, well, you shouldn't have done that, but look, perhaps I'll catch up with you at some point. And he bumped, phone went down. Yeah. Right. So, of course, I've come off and I said, oh, I've killed myself here. What have I done? <laughs> you know, absolute idiot. And a few months later, I signed, I signed for Norwich and I was already in the door and I was going to Norwich and I'd shaken hands and right at the last minute... Terry. Right at the last minute. And I'd, but I'd already done the, yeah. pretty much done the deal with Norwich. And, and of course, and then subsubsequently having worked with Terry over the years. That's brilliant. Uh, he used to remind me, saying, why, did you, why, did you, why didn't you just hang on? I, you know, and I said, oh, Terry, you could have, could have at least given me a bit of a steer yeah. when I rung him with all them 50p's in my pocket. And he was laughing his head off when I told him. Venables left Spurs in 1993 after a failed attempt to buy the club and a bitter disagreement with owner Alan Sugar. His next job was as manager of England, which we'll explore next.
Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This episode of the TalkSport Daily is brought to you by Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Planning to hire or share a car or van? Enterprise is there every step of the way. Whenever and wherever you need a vehicle and whatever it's for... Enterprise can help. With over 450 locations across the UK, they're just around the corner. Whether you need a weekend rental, a holiday hire, a replacement car, or you're planning a business trip, home or away, Enterprise are there to help. To find out more and book, visit enterprise.co.uk. You're listening to Earl Taylor Talk Sport Tribute. I'm broadcaster and Spurs fan Danny Kelly. Having been overlooked four years earlier, Terry was finally appointed England manager in January 1994. His first and only major tournament with the national side was the 1996 Euros. What a tournament it was. Oh, here's Gascoigne. Gascoigne, they can finish it here. Look, Gascoigne. 2-0. Shearer into the path of Darren Anderton. Oh, and a deflection and a super save. And Sheringham, it's four. Towards the near post, a little flick on. It's a goal for England. And Shearer does everything right. Well, let's hope he can do this right as well. Saved it. Oh, my word. And the Germans go into the final, and England are out. Venables took the reins at a terrible time for England. Under Graham Taylor, they had played unattractive, old-fashioned football. The team had failed to even qualify for the 1994 World Cup, the third such disaster in six tournaments. The media, and more importantly the public, had fallen out of love with England. Euro 96 changed all that, reigniting the nation's passion for international football and helping springboard the extraordinary success that the Premier League has become. Terry Venables was central to that turnaround, but it wasn't love at first sight as former Three Lions keeper David Seaman remembers. We got quite a bit of stick, you know, and there was a lot of people wanting Gazza out of the squad and everything, and Terry was like, no, 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 he's our best player. You know, and he got us all together and said, right, come on, let's show them. And that's what we did, you know, and then, then the, the, the public started getting on our side, you know, and the fans started getting on our side, and then the further we went, just the better and better it got. You know, even down to, because we, had, we, um, we didn't need to qualify, we would... Whenever we got together, we would watch videos of Holland. And we were all thinking, like, why are we watching Holland videos? You know, But at that stage, Holland had set the bar really high. And he, and he was saying to us, at some stage, we will play Holland 
and it would be a really key match. And, mm. and then look what happened. You know, we absolutely battered him. Um, and it just shows you his attention to detail was fantastic. And here's former England fullback Stuart Pearce telling us how Eltel galvanised the team ahead of Euro 96. I remember we come back from the Far East under a real cloud uh, as a squad. We weren't playing particularly well and the media were looking to try and hang someone out to dry. And to be fair to him, he said, look, you know, we'll, we'll all take collective responsibility for this. And it was a masterstroke. It really was. It galvanised the group. It, it, it sort of said to the media, look, you're not going to pick us off one, one by one. That's not going to happen. And I think we took that mentality and, and those words into, uh, into the tournament. And uh, it galvanised us. And you, you saw sort of, well, probably they were after Gaza, let's just say, you know, and, and from their sort of thing, you saw how, what Gaza delivered. And it wasn't just the players who Terry managed to inspire. It was the entire nation. Here's the athletic journalist, Charlie Eccleshare. It had such a huge impact on me, like so many other people, like such an outsized effect I guess you know those games it was only a few games and yet all of them in their different ways still live with us we can still tell you exactly what happened Terry Venables managed to kind of make people care about England and you know make us feel proud of that team when a few years before having not qualified for the World Cup in 94 and just looked like they were going nowhere um, it he completely transformed the mood and I think everyone is just so grateful to him for giving us those memories. And now Andy, the Liverpool fan, remembers just how big an impact El Tell had on the country in that Euro 96 tournament. I think I probably speak for a lot of people about my age, mid to late 30s, who their sort of, you know, their real first, you know, incredible intense experience of football was that Euro 96 tournament. And I think this is a man that galvanised that team and made some ingenious decisions and galvanised the country. And I just... I just remember that sheer bliss of that summer, uh, of every, being swept up totally in it. And, you know, I've got a lot to thank that man for because of what he did and what a special, special character. Critical to England's squad was the erratic genius of Paul Gascoigne. Before the tournament, there had been calls for Gasby left out of the squad. Instead, Terry Venables decided to build the team around him. It paid off. Oh, here's... Gaza's goal against Scotland and the famous dentist chair celebrations are among the most iconic moments in the England team's history. Another member of that 1996 squad was Paul Ince, who recalls how Terry treated Gaza. They were very close. You know, I mean, I said they were very close, him and Gaza, and I think um, Gaza needed a lot of attention. Wonderful, 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 wonderful player. Wonderful player. But, you know, he kind of let Gaza, because he loved his fishing, Gaza. So sometimes, like, when we'd finish training in the afternoon, Gaza want to go fishing. You know, and Tell will say, listen, you can go for two hours, but if you're not back in two hours, bang. So, it, Well, even during the Euros? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, <laughs> because you've got to remember, there's a lot of time, Jim, yeah, between yeah. games, you know, yeah. and all this about sitting in hotel rooms and, you know what Gaz is like, he can't sit for one minute, he needs to be on the go and doing things. So Gaz respected Tell, you know, to the, where he said, listen, I'll go for two hours and I'm back and I'll be back in that time. And now Terry himself fondly remembering Paul Gascoigne. It was quite funny. One day he came off and he, I pulled him off and he, he, um, he swore at me. Hmm. You know? So, so um, and he went in and he was, he was all angry. He went in up. and then, you know, he's now sorry. And he says to the physio, the boss is, uh, does he want to see me? So I said to him, tell him I don't want to see him. 
So he said, because <laughs> so, 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 you know where he's going to go. So he said, um, um, he said to David, what, what do you think he'll do? He said, I don't know what he's going to do, but he don't want to see you. So, so he said, so he said, no, well, he said, oh, you know, I didn't mean it. He said, well, don't tell me you didn't mean it. Tell him. He said, but he don't want to see me. He said, no, he doesn't. So anyway, <laughs> comes up. To, so I go up there and, uh, and sitting in the office. It's on the door. Come in. It's Gaza. And he's got a big pint of lager for me. He said, here, boss, I'm very sorry. He said, this is for you. <laughs> I said, well, thanks very much, but next time, make it a glass of wine. I don't like beer. England's best result of the tournament, indeed one of England's best ever performances, came in their final group game when they thrashed Mighty Holland 4-1. Former England assistant Ted Buxton highlights a brilliant moment from after the game. Stan Matthews came to me afterwards and said, it's heavy around. I said, no, he's in the press. He said, would you tell him that is the finest England performance I've ever seen? And I would have loved to have played in it. That's what Stan Matthews said to me. When I told Trevor, he was delighted with that. Back now to Paul Ince, who tells about a remarkable piece of man management once that Holland game was over. I had kind of mixed emotions after the Dutch game, if I'm being totally honest, because I got booked in that game. So I was suspended for the Spanish game. And Terry took me off. And I was absolutely, if you see it, I was absolutely <laughs> livid. Yeah. I was fuming. I was thinking, yeah. you know, Fosca's one of the greatest games of all time, beating Holland 4-1. And then Del Tell takes me off. And I'm, if you watch the footage, you see me just, you know, push my hand away from Brian Robson and that. And I'm fuming after the game. One, because I'm going to miss the Spanish game. Two, I was enjoying the Dutch game. Um, <laughs> and then El Tell just came over and just that cheeky smile and put his arm around me. He said, listen, you get through to the Spain game, you'll definitely be playing against Germany, so let's hope we win. And just a comforting message here, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And, he, and he just calms yeah. you down and, you know, everyone loved him. You know, you, you, he was a player's player. You treat him as a, as a lad, as one of your friends, but you knew how far you could take him. And when it came down to being serious, that, that find the line from being a player's mm. player and a manager and you listen to what he said and, you know, he's going to be sadly, sadly missed him. In the quarterfinals, England beat Spain on penalties, the first time an England team had ever won a match by the dreaded spot kicks. Former three Lions striker Teddy Sheringham gives us an insight into how El Tell approached that game. He had a way of getting not just 11, but 15, 17 players understanding what might happen during the game. The way, because Spain were very technical at the time, and he mm. said, Look, they'll probably play like this, they might play like this, and they might play like that. And if, you know, we've all played for managers, and you'd think to yourself, Jesus, stop it now, you're confusing us. Yeah. But he had a way of just letting us understand, like, don't panic if they this. We're going to do that. And if they do this, we're going to do that. And everyone was like, got your boss, no problem. And we all understood. So, yeah. you know, his way of getting his points across were just unbelievable. Of course, Euro 96 ultimately ended in heartbreak for England as they were knocked out in the semi-finals on penalties by Germany. It was Gareth Southgate who missed that famous penalty. Of course, he's now the England manager. And here he tells us what he learned from Terry Venables. Well, firstly, he was brilliant with the big players. So Gascoigne, who was, you know, was about as complicated as you could choose, but he, he, he found a way of not, not getting uptight when he was doing whatever he was doing, getting the best out of him on the pitch. He was tactically outstanding. And I think 
The other thing, he, he was prepared to employ really good people around him that challenged him. So Don Howe would challenge him. He had Brian Robson with him. He had mm-hmm. Mick Kelly with him, who was outstanding in his generation. And I think as a manager, you've got to employ people around you. I have Steve Holland with me and, and a, a coaching team that are at the highest possible level because you can't do things on your own. You're relying on the team around you. You're relying on good people to, to bring in fresh ideas. And the players need that in every aspect of what we're doing, whether that's the medical team, whether yeah. that's the physical team. Yeah. We need the very best people working with the players. England's captain was Tony Adams, and he remembers his former manager with great fondness. He was very um, down-to-earth, uh, very humble, and uh, technically uh, and tactically, I think he was uh, probably well, he's right up there with, with Don Howe, my old uh, coach at Arsenal and a George Graham nicked all his sessions <laughs> he was like his mate but he, he actually just kind of nicked all his his, his coaching sessions uh, so Terry was uh, was phenomenal at getting to uh, the confidence of the players and to make an understanding Terry left the England job after the tournament but Teddy Sheringham believes that he should have been given another go with the national squad you know we were very close in Euro 96 but you know it's ifs and buts is, is no good we yeah. all know there's only one winning nation every time there's a competition about but we felt we was on to a good thing there you know the the whole the footballing world in England had, had um, changed their, their thoughts about the England set up once Terry came in and it was definitely cut short without a shadow of a doubt we we would have gone into the next competition you know full of confidence after the way the way we did at uh, Euro 96 On the grand scale, Euro 96 was a really important tournament. It helped restore pride that had been lost in the national football team. It definitely helped the recovery of football from the dark days of hooliganism in the 1980s. And it also helped accelerate the growing phenomenon of the then new Premier League. At the time, I had a show with Danny Baker on Radio 1 on a Saturday afternoon. He was also great friends with Paul Gascoigne. And on the Saturday after the fantastic victory over Scotland, he walks into the studio and pulling in kit. I said, oh, you're taking this a bit far, aren't you? He said, no, this is Paul Gascoigne's actual kit. Now, he and Gazza were great mates, but I was still slightly bewildered until he turned round and showed me the back of the shirt where the muddy stain completely matched that where Paul had slid along the turf to celebrate the dentist chair. The kit I know has long since been sold for charity, but my memory of it will last forever. So whether your experience was going to the games, watching them on television and enjoying the sense of national anticipation, or in my case, something peculiar that could never be repeated, it just went on and on and on and Euro 96, powered by Terry Venable's personality, remains, other than the World Cup in the mid-60s, the most important tournament in England football history. Coming up, we'll look next at Terry's life after England. listening to El Tell, a talk sport tribute, and I'm broadcaster and Spurs fan Danny Kelly. After leaving England at the end of the Euro 96 tournament, Terry became manager of Australia. Under his guidance, the Socceroos reached the final of the 1997 FIFA Confederations Cup, 
but they only lost to Brazil in the final. They also narrowly missed out on qualifying for the 98 World Cup finals as they lost a playoff to Iran on away goals. Former Socceroos goalkeeper Mark Bosnich tells us how Eltel helped to modernise Australian football. For me, he was innovative. He really opened up everyone's eyes to another way of football. I'd heard a lot of stories off him from Gareth Southgate. Obviously, we were playing together at Aston Villa and uh, and what he had achieved and, and how he'd worked um, you know, th- with England in, in the Euro 96 where they, they were so close to, to, to winning. But more importantly, they played so, such beautiful football. And in a real modern way, and uh, and I saw it then firsthand when he when he manages with the Socceroos. Unfortunately, we didn't qualify for the World Cup, but the lessons you took back and and the, from his experience as a manager uh, was tremendous. Terry returned to England in 1998, went on to coach Crystal Palace, Middlesbrough, and Leeds. He managed Mark Viduka, both Australia and Leeds. And the former striker tells us just why everyone loved him. He was a football person, you know, and if you if you love football. You know that type of person you have a lot of respect for, and the way that he, the way he, he communicated with players individually and also collectively, you know, on the on the, on the training field. I remember doing, you know, when he started off with the national team, we, we were doing some things that I'd never seen before, you know, in in those days, and the way that he explained it, and you know, patterns of play and things like that, which were, which were new to a lot of us, you know. Mm. He, he organised us really well. Post his managerial career, Terry's bubbling personality and vast knowledge made him a natural for the media. It was just unbelievable. I, I, I went into a tournament with all the staff, all the players, with a huge challenge. And as it went on, as it unwrapped, it just got more and more intriguing. It got fascinating and it was the best experience of my career. Sports commentator Jim Rosetail tells us a classic tale from his time working with El Tell. You'd instantly warm towards him. Uh, he was a great joker. I remember him, me, the three of us um, were watching um, with Bobby Robson and watching a game in World Cup 98. And dear old Bobby had come a little bit late to the party. And there was a goal scored uh, in, in around very late in the first half. And Bobby went on this rant and said, can you believe that? They've been leading the whole game. They've been, And then that happens. That's football for you, Terry, isn't that football for you? And then Terry just looked at him with a little half smile on his face and said, Half time, Bob. There must be lights burning brighter somewhere. Got to be birds flying higher in the sky. That was Terry's hit song, If I Can Dream, released in 2010, but he actually sang throughout his life. In fact, he was very showbiz. In the 90s, Terry was part owner of the private members' nightclub Scribes West in posh Kensington. Among his patrons were Paul Gascoigne and Vinnie Jones, Rolling Stones bassist Bill Wyman, pop star Gloria Estefan and a host of others. The dance floor, it was said, had once been at White Hart Lane, but had somehow ended up in West London. The highlight of most nights at Scribes was Terry getting up on the stage to belt out a few tunes. Terry Venables lived large. Here's Ted Buxton, who sang with him in his nightclub on many occasions. It was a bit of competition between us, really. I suppose we could both sing a bit uh, and, and, and sung the, the same sort of songs, you know. So uh, there was always who grabs the mic, mic first, you know. All the way and all the ballad songs, you know, that Sonata and all those used to sing. Um, and it was a bit of a competition between us, really. And some of the punters in the club 
would say, uh, get up and sing Till or Ted or whatever, you know, and that was it, yeah. I think he'd done a couple of little songs uh, one time we had, uh, when we used to get together, you know. It was something uh, they they uh, they liked, I think, the two of us going up to hand the song. Someone else who remembers Terry singing was Shirley, who phoned us to talk sport to tell us about his wonderful voice. Apart from what he did in football, I mean, I've been a professional singer and entertainer all my life, and I saw him when he was with uh, Lou, I think it was with Lou Prager. You won't even remember, no one will remember him, but I do. Yeah. And he was at the Hammersmith Pally, and he was singing with the band, and he was absolutely brilliant. He, his mm. personality and everything. And I thought to myself, what's he doing in football? Should be a professional <laughs> singer. You know, he was absolutely, and his personality. And his, he, and there was a song that we sing, and it just epitomizes him altogether. And it's called Born With a Smile on My Face. And of course, it was more than just singing that made everyone gravitate towards El Tell. He was a massive character with a remarkable way with people. Former England and Spurs midfield Darren Anson explains what he was like. Terry did everything. I mean, we, you know, the shape that we would obviously work on games. And, you know, I feel like, you know, I've read a lot about, you know, people, you know, the way that Terry could change systems, you know, from game to game, within a game, um, make you feel comfortable doing the things that he wanted you to do, keeping it simple. Um, but, you know, Monday to Friday, he was on the training pitch. He, we were, you know, we would work every day on the shape of the team, how we were going to go about the, the game coming up on maybe midweek or, or on a Saturday. And when you went out on a Saturday at three o'clock, you knew what your job was and you had a belief and he made you believe that you were, were going to be top man that day and you were going to help the team win by doing what you're good at and it was a, an amazing feeling and of course you know I feel very privileged um, to have you know had Terry you know play such a big part in my life and my football career even at Tottenham it, you know it was only one year I mean you know the, the fallout with you know Sir Alan Sugar and then he was mm. gone and then then of course he gave me my England debut a thing that you can only ever dream of is your first ever game for England and um, just he just cared, and I feel like when we first played th that first game, it was his first game as well as England manager against Denmark. Um, and the morning of the game, he called a meeting. He said, "Right, I'm going to let you know the team now, and then we're going to go off and do some set plays." And that, but once we do this, we'll, we'll um, I'll give you ten ten minutes. We'll, the bus will leave in ten minutes in case anyone wants to go and you know give their parents a call or or let you know family and friends know if you're p playing or not playing. And I just feel like he knew the way I was and just wanted me to go and call my mum and dad and let them know that I I was going to be playing for England tonight. It was you know unbelievable, um, and just thinking about it, just you know. It's, Special, special time. And now back to another former Spurs midfielder, Paul Stewart, who tells exactly how caring Terry Venables was. For me, he was one of the best managers I played under, but it wasn't just the manager side of it, it was the human side of it, you know. Um, he looked after me knowing that when I was down at Spurs, I struggled with, with being homesick and he was, he, was, he was always just so kind. So 
I'm, I'm absolutely gutted, if I'm honest. When someone dies, there's a tendency of people to say he was a one-off. In the case of Terry Venables, that was absolutely true. Venables was a whirlwind of energy, charisma, talent and cheek. And sometimes he got things wrong, overstretching himself financially, getting involved in unwinnable legal battles, rubbing important people up the wrong way. In his latter years too, his luminous personality was dimmed by a long battle with Alzheimer's. But at his peak, he was unstoppable, a success at nearly everything he did and beloved by almost everyone he touched. For half a century, he was at the very heart of English football and British life. Not bad for a kid from an Essex Council estate. The game and our national life is so much poorer without the great Terry Venables. If I look at Terry Venables, and what, what do I see of him? I just see a caring, calm, funny guy, but a great coach, great person. Dare I say he was uh, a latter-day Pep Guardiola. So in that time, I was 13, 40 years old, or 50 years old, so it's the first time I saw win almost a La Liga, no? the first time, a proper, proper man. So I'm so sorry for his family, honestly. This guy's going to have a crack. He is, you know. Oh, you had a belief, and he made you believe that you were, were going to be top man that day. Che was involved in saving the club uh, in the early 90s when we were very much uh, nearly going out of business. Spurs have won the FA Cup for a record eight times. I go back to Euro 96 again when we played against Spain. He had a way of getting not just 11, but 15, 17 players understanding what might happen during the game. It was just the biggest sporting occasion where everybody loved it. So Terry was uh, was phenomenal at getting to uh, the confidence of the players and to make an understanding. When he first got the England job, you know, he, um, he came straight up to me and he just told me outright, he went, right, you're my England's number one. Oh, Seaman! A save superbly from Nadal! And England go into the semi-finals of the European Championship. You've been listening to El Tell, a talk sport tribute to Terry Venables. The Talk Sport Daily Podcast is proud to be in partnership with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Whatever your mission, home or away, don't delay. Enterprise has the vehicle for the job. Rent from the best lineup in the UK. With over 450 branches, Enterprise has what your business needs. From compact three-door cars to spacious SUVs and people carriers to vans, they offer a large range of reliable vehicles perfect for the job. To find out more and book, visit enterprise.co.uk. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.